God, for ministering to us through song and music and through the reading of your word. But Lord, we need to very much so know your presence. May you speak to our hearts through all that we've heard and all that we're going to hear. May you, O God, be in the midst of your people. For you said wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that you're right there with us. And Lord, we're looking for you, O God, to speak. You know each one of our situations. And you know the difficulties that we have in life. You know our downsetting and our uprising. Lord, there's nothing you do not know about us. And therefore, Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you would minister to us. And we thank you for what you have provided. Thank you for the testimonies of your provision and what you have done. And Lord, may we continue to hear a good report of what you're doing in the lives of your people. And Father, may we be a people of faith who believe you for the impossible. For it is truly written, there's nothing too hard for you to do. And Lord, we cast all of our cares upon you because, Lord, we truly believe that you care for us. Lord, just minister to us. As we look into your word today, may you take your word and write it upon our hearts. May you bring it back to our minds. May you cause us not to only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Help us to practice it moment by moment throughout life. And Lord, you have called each one of us to serve you. May that be our highest goal, to be the servants of the living God. We don't fight for position or having this title or that title. The greatest title we can ever have is that I am a servant of the Lord. Minister to us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're hitting this last area in Galatians now, this point in which oftentimes may be a struggle for us. And as yet, is one of those areas that has to be really looked at. Because... If you were to study Eastern philosophy or Eastern religion, this is the very basis of it. Self-control. Self-control. You cannot accomplish discipline without self-control. You cannot even begin to discipline yourself without self-control. You can't do anything in your life without self-control. It is the ability to control even your emotions. Because you may like to do something, that doesn't mean you have a right to do it. And even when you have a right to do something, doesn't mean you should do it. We have a liberty that's been given to us by God. And what we have to discern is this. Everything is not expedient for us. Everything is not expedient for us. Everything is not good for us. Even though we have a right to do it, it may not be good for us. And it's that self-control that says, even though I'm justified in doing something, that keeps me from doing it. And without self-control, 
All the other qualities that are listed before really mean nothing. So you can almost take between love, because love is the thing that really exercises everything else that's taking place, and then self-control is the one that's like a sandwich. Love here, self-control here, everything else in between. You have to have the love to do all the other, but you've got to have self-control to even do love. Because people will cause you to act unlovable. What is self-control? It is that area of being controlled by the spirit. It is being spirit-controlled. And whenever we're not spirit-controlled, then we're being controlled by the flesh. The more we are controlled by the flesh, you can also add this to it. You are following demonic influence. When you are being controlled by the flesh, and your emotions are being controlled by the flesh, in many ways you open yourself up also to demonic influence. And then you can see the behavior that follows that demonic influence. It's there. Being controlled by the Spirit is an area that you and I have to yield to. We're not made to do it. But it's an area that we have to yield to. And we have to want to do it. And without it, we're not going to really please God. Because in pleasing God is obedience. And in obedience is self-control. We need to understand also, in Galatians 2.23, he says, gentleness and self-control, against such things there are no law. Against these qualities of the Holy Spirit, these characters of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.23, 22 and 23. When you really look at them, he says, boy, when you practice these, there are no laws that's against it. Now, understand this. The law was for the purpose of what? Revealing sin. If the law doesn't have to deal with you, any law of the Lord doesn't have to deal with you, you're not in sin. There's a freedom now to function and to do. Because there is no law that will govern these, that will stop these from taking action and going forth. The thing with self-control is the area we all battle. The controlling of our anger, the controlling of our tongue, the controlling of our mind, the controlling of all our emotions. That self-control is so important. Self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desire. And in many cases, and what is used here even with Paul, is the sexual control and so forth. And today, even in Christianity, it seems like we have lost the ability to control our sexual appetite. And yet, we are a people who house the Spirit, who have the Spirit, and the Spirit of God has to control us. Now, I'm going to take a huge step out here. We hear a lot of people with their mouths say they're saved. 
But yet there's no indication in their life of the controlling work of the Holy Spirit in their life. If the Holy Spirit is not being demonstrated in their life, there may be a huge question mark over their life if they're really saved. And understand, there is that nominal Christianity where we say with our mouth we love the Lord, but our heart is where? Yeah. There's that area that says, yes, I'm religious, but religious doesn't mean that you're saved. There's a mouth that can say, I love God, I love God, but they don't keep God's commandments. And the whole thing is to come to see what is the work of the Holy Spirit in this person's life? And what is the Holy Spirit holding them back from? And what is the Holy Spirit releasing them to? Self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially the sensual appetites, but controls of oneself or one's own emotions and actions. And actions. In Acts 24, we're going to find Paul witnessing to Felix. In that area of witnessing to physics and acts, you're going to find these four things that really come out from Paul. And he hits very quickly because there's no use witnessing if you're not going to witness about who? Jesus Christ. So the thing that he tells us first, that he really does discuss about Christ. And he shares about Christ. And with that comes that area that He is sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ and what is needed in the life of a believer. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Gisela, who was a Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. He spoke about faith in in Christ Jesus. Now, he just he didn't stop with just faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Paul recognizes something. This man is a heathen. Now, what's a heathen? An unbeliever. This man, and Paul hits him in some vital areas. This is his third marriage, when you read the history about Felix. This is his third marriage. So this man has no control, what? Of himself or his sexual appetite. He has no control of himself. Plus, this man, because he isn't really saved, really doesn't know what it is to be righteous or to do righteous acts. So Paul explains to him about Jesus Christ and then about righteousness And then he goes on, he explains to him about self-control. And why would he need to hear about self-control? Third marriage, something's out of control. 
Something's not right. And then Paul letting knows this. Oh, you may have the authority to judge me, but there's going to be one who's what? Going to judge you. <laughs> and he's coming. And Paul hits those four things. But he gives him one of these areas of the character of the Holy Spirit is that area of self-control. Because this man is desperately in need of self-control. Paul is in control. And you need to see that. That even though this one is speaking... Paul is the one that's really in control. And Paul himself is watching and listening and looking for this one. Because, boy, he needs this. He needs to hear about faith in Christ. He needs to hear about the righteousness of Christ. Because that's a transferring. I was reading uh, some comparison of religion. And uh, this one theologian really writes very heavily against the transferring of the righteousness of Christ to man. And he writes very heavily towards that and very much against it. But unless Christ transfers his righteousness to us, we would never have any righteousness. His argument is that once you're saved, you develop your own righteousness by doing what is right. Well, if that was the case, I still wouldn't make heaven because even though I'm saved, there's so many things I do that is wrong. I would never be able to earn heaven. And Paul makes that clear with him. Righteousness and then self-control. And Paul's in control. Turn to Matthew 10. Listen to what he says to all of us. Because we need to know that when we're witnessing to somebody, that somebody else, or at least we're praying, somebody else is in control. That I'm not the one in control. But that I have a, I have a privilege of being used by him who's doing the witnessing. So he says in verse 19, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Paul, I don't think, had time to get his four-point sermon ready for Felix. But when he got before him, and I imagine even Paul now, just being human, was a little fretful, a little nervous. Because even when you go up with a parking ticket, do you feel a little apprehensive? When you go for something very minor, do, do you sense a little nervousness in your system? And sometimes you just can't get the right words out. You're trying to tell your story, but boy, trying to get out. But here the Holy Spirit takes over, and the whole thing with Paul is that, boy, first you need to know about Jesus Christ, faith in Christ. Then you need to know about righteousness. Then you need to know about self-control. And then you need to know because you're going to judge me, and yes, you're judging other people, there is one who's going to judge you need to know that. And he says, boy, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Boy, now that's when witnessing really takes place. 
when you know it's not you, but it's the Holy Spirit that is somehow flowing the scriptures through you and the words through you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit that is doing it. You know, and he's guiding us through it. And Paul is in control. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in control of who? Paul. Whenever the Holy Spirit is in control of you, you will be in control of the situation. If the Holy Spirit has control of you, in most cases you're going to be in control of the situation, even though people around you may not see you in control. But you're in control because you stay calm. You're in control because you have something to share with that person. You're in control because you're going to bring about a correction in a situation. You're in control because you're going to show the love of God in a situation. You're in control because you're going to disperse the kindness of God in a situation. You're in control because you're going to be the one who's going to, even though they may have been harsh to you, you're going to be gentle to them. You're in control. You're in control. And it is the Spirit then that's controlling you as you perform and do His work. But the moment you step into the flesh, you've lost the ability to show kindness. When you step in the flesh, you've lost the ability to be gentle. When you step into the flesh, you're ready to wage war with people. You've lost your patience. You've lost your cool. And people will even remind you, I thought you loved me. And that whole process takes place. Self-control. Boy, you may feel you have a right to act a certain way, or you have a right for your vengeance, or you have a right to say this or say that. If the Holy Spirit is not controlling your tongue, you'll say the wrong thing. Just because you may have a right to take action or a right to say something, that doesn't always mean that you have the privilege to act. Go to First Samuel chapter 24 and, and see when you really understand the story of David, David has a right to act per se. And uh, even some of his men thought he had the right to act and to perform, especially the way Saul had been treating him. And Saul had been trying to take his... When somebody would throw a javelin at you, or somebody shoot at you, or somebody do something trying to take your life, or somebody's lying on you, don't you feel some kind of justification that you have a right to stand up for yourself? You let somebody throw a stone at you. You're not ready to say thank you. <laughs> You're ready to throw one back if possible. Amen. And, and that's the area that we really have to work on, that the Spirit of God is in control of us because of our anger that can get out of hand. So in verse 4 there, you'll find he says, The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke. 
of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Saul has stepped into a cave to relieve himself. And while he was doing so, David snuck up behind him and snipped his robe. And the men that were with him were saying, this is the time to take his life. This is the time to just go ahead and kill him. This is the time to get rid of our problem. This is the time to get rid of the one who has chased us out of our comfort, our Jerusalem, and we're living like bandits and thieves. This is the one the time to get rid of this guy. we got good cause to go ahead and snuff his life out. And even to the point of some advice. See, God has delivered him, David, into your hands. Your enemy he has bought and put right in your hands. And he says... Verse 5, afterward David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men. And I guess the men said, David, you crazy. This is the one trying to kill you. This is the one who has you sleeping out here in the woods someplace rather than in a comfortable bed. This is the one who is spreading lies about you. Won't even let you go home. And you could feel or sense, boy, a righteousness that says, yeah, I have a right to kill this guy. He really is my enemy. And David says, no, I don't. I don't have that right. I don't have that privilege. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. When you come over to chapter 26, 7 through 10, you find a similar incident again. Where David them sneak into the camp and Saul is asleep. And his spear is there. And his partner with him says, hey, let me take his spear, his spear and I will only strike him one time. And again, David says, no. No. And what David takes is his canteen and his spear with him. You may feel you have a right to do something. But in reality, if you're being controlled of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the one that has to give you the liberty or withhold you from it. And sometimes with our emotions flying, it's only the Holy Spirit who can hold us. It's only the Holy Spirit who can keep our mouth. It's only the Holy Spirit who can cause us to walk away. It's only the Holy Spirit that can cause us to stand there and take whatever's coming But understand something. When the Holy Spirit have you in control, what is coming is being blocked by a shield. Self-control is a quality for anyone in leadership. 
So if you're the father of a home or if you're a, uh, a boss on the job or if you have your own company or if you're doing this or doing that, self-control is something you have to be able to display and show even to those who are going to follow you. Understand, if you cannot control your temperament, if you can't control your anger, if you can't control your words, everybody underneath you will follow you. Will follow you. Leadership in the home, in the school, wherever you may be working at, you're leading somebody. You're leading a friend. You're leading another employer, employee. You're leading your children. So this whole concept of self-control is something that you have to demonstrate constantly in your life to everybody that you meet. In Titus 1.8, let's go to it. It's one of those qualities that Titus said has to be in the part of the leadership and so forth. And oftentimes in leadership, boy, we lose it. Oh, we don't care for what somebody else is saying. In leadership, you have to be able to give other people the ability to voice themselves without you losing it. Need to understand that. If you're the boss, somebody else may not like your decisions and they should have the privilege of speaking that without being fearful they're going to be fired or or chastised for it. So Titus simply says in one eight, he says, boy, let me get there. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled. Upright, holy, and disciplined. But look what's there. Self-control. If one's going to be in leadership, one's going to be an elder, one's going to be a deacon, one's going to be in a Sunday school teacher, one's going to be... Just think of all the things that are fired sometime at a Sunday school teacher. If they lost control. That ain't the time for that question. You hold that question. Now you're just trying to disturb my meeting here. I was in a Bible study the other night, and as we left, my wife shamed me. I couldn't take this guy. And, and, but we're, we know he has some problems. And he, he will ask a dozen questions that don't make sense sometimes. You know, and then he'll ask the question, and then he'll start telling you the answer to the question. You know. But the thing is, he's there. How do you respond? He's just as important as everybody else. You know? And sometimes that person has to get some things out. And maybe that's the place for him to get them out because nowhere else would anybody what? Give him much value, credence, time. And that's where you're gentle. That's where you're kind. Amen. That's where you show God's love to that person. And you minister to them. Amen. The whole thing, somebody get upset and say, 
Don't you say another word in this. No. It's time for you to leave because you're just disturbing the study. No. God brought him in there for a reason. And that's what we always got to look at. Understand again, even though Satan may send one, God has another purpose. They may come in meaning it to disturb. God's sending them for them to learn. And we need to understand if God allows him in and God gave him a mind to come, then God has something to say to him. Titus 2.2, just turn over to chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, teach the older men to be tempered, worthy of respect. Now look what follows, self-control. Older men, and this is part of our problem in our society, we don't see older men who are well-tempered or self-controlled. So our younger men pick up from our older men. And if our older men can do all this, the younger men take it to a new horizon. Because there's no self-control. And what we don't realize as older men sometimes, younger men are watching us. And he says, now for the older men, teach them self-control. Now, it follows respect. If you want respect, be able to hold your tongue at time. Be able to speak with wisdom. Be able to demonstrate and give something of value of principles and standards. And he said, above all else, make sure you're under control. Our young people see so many older people losing it. And then we're trying to tell the younger group, not to respond or not to act. And he says, for that older men who want respect, let them show self-control in many areas. And sometimes as older men, we don't have to always spot off what is our wisdom. Sometimes we just need to learn, (laughs) observe, and watch, and wait for the opportunity in which we are asked for the wisdom or the knowledge that we think we possess to be able to give it. But oftentimes with older men, we just jump in because we think these are a bunch of young guys that don't know anything. They haven't lived for a moment. But neither have they asked to hear from you. And sometimes we need to wait for that. That invitation to share what we think is wisdom and knowledge from over the years. And he says simply there, boy, need to control it. Then when you get in 1 Corinthians 9.25, he speaks about going into this training and so forth, strict training. Let me share something. You can't go into training yourself if you don't have control over yourself. You can't train yourself to do anything without first having some kind of control over yourself. If you're all over the place, you're not going to teach yourself anything. You have to be able to focus on this one thing. 
and deal with it. And that's self-control. And a lot of people today, boy, we're anxious for this and we want that and we want this. When do we want it? Self-control is out the door. I can't even wait on it. I got, I got part of the money saved. Now I'm going to look for somebody to give me the rest of the money so that I can get it. Or, boy, if I can't get it, then I'm just going to steal it. The whole thing with self-control is that area of granting you also patience. Patience. Now, knowledge of God's word builds in self-control. The more knowledge that you have of God's word, the more you're going to be able to have self-control over this flesh. The less knowledge you have, you're not going to be able to control this monster that is in you. But the more of God's word that you have in you, it will fight against any wrong emotions or wrong thinking by the Holy Spirit as he brings up the scripture and remind you what the word says. Go to Second Peter, and this this building process that Peter talks about that has to take place in our life, and oftentimes with many of us, we don't spend enough time in God's Word. Great for Sunday school. Great that you come to church for morning service. But how many of you really sit during the week and study the word that you might show yourself approved? How many of you are speaking from the area that is from knowledge that you believe the Holy Spirit has talked you through the word? Or you're just speaking by what you heard Tony Evans say, Charles Stanley say, somebody else said? Or that you're speaking from the knowledge of God's word that you have dug for. That's a big difference. If you're not in God's word, you're empty. And the reality of listening to some people, you can tell they're not in God's word. But all they can give is a fleshly opinion. Or they can only talk about their experience. Now, I'm not saying your experience hasn't taught you something. But that may not be for them. But God's word is for all of us. God's word is for all of us. So in Second Peter, he tells us in one six, he simply says it in this fashion. He says, and to knowledge, self-control. To knowledge, self-control. To knowledge, self-control. The more knowledge you have, the better you can control yourself and the better off you are enabling yourself to make good decisions. The less knowledge you have, you're not going to be able to make too many good decisions or make good choices. But the more knowledge you have, it, it allows you to make a better decision. It gives you more opportunity that you're aware of. 
And a lot of people do not avail themselves to knowledge. And therefore, they have less ability to make good decisions. And we look at people and we say, why did they make that decision? They made the decision on the little bit of knowledge that they had. A little bit of teaching that they have. And as my wife would say, they just don't know any better. And that is just a lack of knowledge. And, but he makes it so clear there. Knowledge, self-control. Now look what self-control builds. To self-control, perseverance, or the word patience. When you use self-control, you will also demonstrate patience. You will demonstrate it. Go to Proverbs 20 and 3. Going to jump through these quick here now. The next 10 minutes before we can get out of it. Proverbs 20 and verse 3. It is to a man's honor or a man's respect, a man's worth. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife. But every fool is quick to quarrel. To avoid strife is to be able to have self-control over whatever is coming at you that you're not responding how? In a very negative way. Because what happens oftentimes when strife starts up between two people? Boy, you find two people just going at each other. And... The self-controlled person will first understand this. Is this somebody that I can really talk to and reason with? If I can't reason with that person, what do I need to do? Yeah. Now, the other thing. If this person is just angry at this time and flying off, sometimes you have to allow the person to just throw up on you. That means you got to go clean yourself up. <laughs> but they got it out. They got it out. See? And after they get it out and calm down, now you can what? Begin to talk about it. See? But you stayed in control and you were not responding. Look what you did to me. Look what you said about me. Look. Now we're just stirring up more strife. Hey. Sometimes you just got to let them get it out. And then, once you look what he really says here, this other part of this. He says, the fool is quick to quarrel. The fool is quick sometimes to defend themselves. The fool is quick sometimes to give answers that this person is not going to hear. <laughs> They're not going to hear it. <laughs> You're trying to explain it, but they don't have an ear to hear it at that moment. And he says, boy, there's time just to be quiet. And quietness and holding our tongue is the evidence of self-control of the spirit. Because the flesh will want to jump in there. You cut me, I'm going to cut you twice. Ecclesiastes 10.4. Where he said, 
the word calmness, control. He says, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great heirs to rest. Catch that. Calmness or self-control can lay great heirs, what? To rest. If you stay calm and deal with the issue, really have an ear to hear, the Lord says, be what? Quick to listen, slow to what? And we need to take that to heart. Because oftentimes when I hear people speaking and once again, it's no longer about the problem. It's about what he, she did or they did or this or that. Or, it's not dealing with the problem. And he simply says, calmness can lay great heirs to rest. A lot of things can be laid to rest if you stay in control. Allow the spirit to control you. Now, without self-control, you can only display the flesh, and that's all you're able to do. Without the Holy Spirit being in control of your life, and without you practicing self-control and demonstrating self-control, all you can do is demonstrate what the flesh is able to do. Go to Proverbs 14.29. Listen to what he says. A patient man has great understanding. The one who stays in control. He has great understanding. He's listening intently. And when he speaks, he's going to speak out of wisdom. and He's going to speak from knowledge. He's going to speak from facts. Not from emotions. A patient man has great understanding. But a quick temper man displays what? Folly, foolishness. A quick-tempered person don't take time to think it through. They're not listening. They're not really hearing. The quick-tempered person only sees, I'm being attacked. How dare you attack me? How dare you question my integrity? How dare you question my authority? How dare you question what I'm doing? But the person with patience who stays in control, self-control, is one that has great understanding. Second Timothy, and he won't act like a fool. Won't act like a fool. I think some of us as Christians, we have become just like the world. We don't care how foolish we act out here. We don't care how backwards and ignorant we act. We don't care how we display ourselves, and yet we call ourselves Christians. People, people evaluate us with our words, with our behavior with our clothing, with our attitudes, everything about us, we're constantly being weighed in the balance if we really are what we say we are. Closing 2 Timothy 3.3. 3. Because, see, 
Well, let's take the whole part of it first. And look, because what I want you to see is this here. The unsaved person doesn't have self-control. The Christian who is acting in a carnal manner or living a carnal life does not have self-control. And therefore we see the evidence of the lack of the control in so many different areas of life. Because see, God has to control my tongue. God has to control my sexual appetite. God has to control my behavior. God, not only thing I know how to act is like the world. And every morning you will wake up to where you have to face a world that does not like you. And you have to deal with this flesh. And you have to deal with the demonic influence that is out here. Believe me. Believe what scripture says. Satan desires to take you and shift you like what? Like wheat. And Satan wants to see you stumble. He wants to see you fall. He wants to be able to go before the throne of God and bring an accusation against you. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. People who don't have any control. Only thing that they care about is who? Self. Everything is about self. Everything is about me. He goes on, he says, lovers of money can't even control money. You'll find a lot of Christians who have no self-discipline when it comes to the area of their finances. Therefore, if God wanted to use them to give or do this or do that, they can't because they already then spent everything. They're over heels in debt. And they don't know what's going to happen. One of the hardest areas for us as Christians is to get our money under control. It's self-discipline, but you can't have self-discipline without self-control. And what happens in this area is more of the flesh then, because what you're doing is satisfying the flesh with all your wants. Rather than with the Lord. He says, boy, lovers of money, boastful and proud. Let's go a little further. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love. Unforgiving, slanderous. Now catch it. Without self-control. Without self-control, all these things of the flesh just are seen and demonstrated and brought forth. Why? Because we don't have control of self. We don't have control of self. And in this, all these things that are listed, boy, I may be in there somewhere. I may be a person without love. I may be a person who's really struggling with 
unforgiveness. I may be a person who is really struggling with the area of just doing something good. I'm struggling with one of these areas. And the issue is, take control. How do you take control? Yielding to the Holy Spirit that you can have control over this area of your life by being obedient unto Him and to the Word. Control. Control. Self-control. The Holy Spirit wants you to be in control. Satan wants you to be out of control. In all these areas. Why? They demonstrate the power of the flesh. They're not what God would have for you. God would have you to be able to show love. God would have you to be able to have peace. God would have you to be able to demonstrate kindness. God wants you to be able to have the joy. God wants you to be able to be gentle with people. And God wants you to be in control of yourself. Because when you allow the Spirit to demonstrate these characters in you, it is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in you. One more step in closing here. When the Holy Spirit, when these characters are demonstrated in your life, and remember what it says now, there is no law against them. Now the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be activated in your life and released through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when you're speaking and you're listening, you have discernment. When you're speaking and you're listening, you can prophesy what God's word says. That when you're dealing with other people, you have discernment, you have wisdom, you have knowledge. You, the Holy Spirit now can activate his spiritual gifts as talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. He can activate those things in you because the quality of the Spirit is alive there in you. And there's no law against these things. There's no law against them. Boy, it's taking each one of these words and really helped me. I hope that they've been a blessing and a helping to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that your word is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray, Father, that your word will cut at us. And cut away those things, Lord, that are not pleasing to you in our life. And that, Lord, as your word declares, that we might put on, that we might put on the quality and the character of the Holy Spirit. And we may allow him, Lord, to have free reign in our lives. We give you that privilege right now. That, Lord, that you have free reign in our life 
to produce and to display the character of the Holy Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit. We want that to happen in our lives. We just don't want to read it and forget it. We just don't want to be able to quote it. We want to be able to practice it and live it out that others might see the power of God in our lives. That they might know this is not of the flesh. This is not the kindness of the flesh, but this is divine kindness. This is not just human brotherly love, but this is divine love. This is a agape love. This is not somebody just tolerating me, but this is divine patience at work in me. That Lord, that they can tell the difference between what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit. And only what the spirit does in us and through us will glorify you. For the flesh cannot glorify you, Lord, but only the Spirit. Minister to us and through us, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, and we don't want to take advantage that you know Christ. You may have been coming to the church for the last ten years, but you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You may be able to quote many verses and you may be able to speak about many different topics of the Bible. But you've never accepted Jesus Christ. And we don't want to take it for granted that everyone in here is saved. The scripture says the day is the day of salvation. And you may have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord. You may have never confessed your faults, your sins, and said to God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. Well, today is your day. If you've never accepted Christ, would you just pray this prayer? Father, I thank you and I praise you for your provision of giving unto me Jesus Christ, the one who has paid the debt for my sin. 